0: Live from beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumored innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by journalist Matt Barron, Phil Beverly from the University of Illinois at Chicago, Rosanna Polito, immigration activist, and Chicago Alderman Raymond Lopez. Our program tonight, coming to you from my own base at AM 560 WIND Radio in Chicago or in Elk Grove Village just outside Chicago. Our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. Tonight, uh, I don't think we're going to have uh, 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 the usual split between Uh, Hard conservatives and and hard liberals on the program this evening because I think the uh, the issue is one that uh, Brings in many cases uh, people together trying to find an answer uh, The answer that is being Prescribed at the moment politically They're not on the same page. So we'll get into some differences there, but I want to talk about the issue of illegal immigration those seeking asylum which is different than the illegal immigrants But again, uh, our southern borders and, and the cities of the United States, we have been besieged with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people from around the world, primarily Central America, who've come into the United States and not gone through the regular process. In addition to that, in many major cities of the United States, we're dealing with the ongoing issue of homelessness. And what's happening in a lot of communities around the United States is that those people who may be somewhat sympathetic to the homeless are less welcoming to the illegal immigrants that that are coming into the country. And there's a real, there's there's gnashing of teeth and there's uh, people within communities who are asking their elected officials, you know, you may have said we're a welcoming city, but you never asked us if you want us to welcome these people. So all of this is going on in the streets, not only of Chicago, but New York, major cities and smaller cities as well, because the number of people that are coming to the United States or seeking some form of asylum here continues to be the same. So tonight we have four guests that uh, can talk about it from a variety of different perspectives. And again, uh, uh, we've got a a longtime immigration activist. Uh, We have a college professor, we have a Chicago alderman, and we have a journalist who has a unique perspective because his uh, brother has been homeless for much of the last three decades, and he'll share his unique perspective as well in keeping uh, in touch with his brother and in and, and context with the, the broader issue that we discussed this evening. Ray Lopez, I want to start with you because you are a frequent guest on this program and you've become a household name because of your stardom on Fox News. So I, I want to begin with you because you are a Chicago alderman. Uh, you represent a, a largely uh, Mexican population in your ward, as, although there's African-Americans and Caucasians there as well. But as a sitting alderman in Chicago, and you're one of only 50, how much input do you get or information in advance do you get from the city of Chicago or anybody else uh, if someone is going to drop, uh, you know, hundreds or, you know, thousands of people on your, your ward or area of the city?
1: Well, Bruce, first let me correct something before Tucker and all the rest of them got to interview me. You were one of the first ones to interview me, so thank you. Thank you, and very much proud to be that. Um, in the city of Chicago, we generally have little to no warning when the next busloads are arriving, let alone whether or not we're going to have them in our communities or in any of the police stations where the administration has been housing them up until this point. Just today, four more busloads arrived in the city of Chicago, carrying the migrant asylum seekers from the border, arriving in the only way that we even knew that, the public knew that they were coming was because individuals saw them on the expressways heading this direction in school buses with blacked out windows. So it makes it very difficult to try to plan when you don't know who's coming, when you don't know how when many. you say when you and when
0: when, when you yeah. say we uh, right, you're you are an alderman. But again, uh, if we were to ask Mayor Johnson, does he receive any advance notification? I mean, he is he keeping information from you or does he not have that information?
1: You know, it's hit or miss whether or not he even gets the information. Uh, the governor the federal, uh, and the federal authorities are not necessarily letting us know what's coming in advance. We may get snippets or hear rumors or be able to identify in advance uh, on occasion. But we, as the city, get very little notice. And we've been seeing the buses, you know, since August of last year. And now we're getting them by the plane load as well, in addition to the buses that are being sent here. So as of right now, there are nearly 400 individuals residing at O'Hare International Airport because they arrived from planes coming from Denver and New York. Uh, and we don't want them to leave the airport in case they have to go a different location.
0: Phil Beverly, to you, uh, you're a college professor, but uh, you're 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 a progressive guy. Uh, what is your view on the way in which government, uh, be it state or federal or even state, uh, are handling this situation, which is pretty hard to describe any other way than a
2: mess? Yeah, Bruce, it it really is a mess, and I would have thought we would have had some. A better planning for this. I mean, the city of Chicago um, several years ago closed 50 schools, for example, under a former mayor. And I would think that at least some of those schools should be or could be retrofitted for temporary shelter for uh, folks seeking asylum. I, I have to tell you, having visited a number of police districts, it, it's, it strikes me in two ways. One, it's inhumane to house uh, these folks at police stations, and I think it's quite dangerous and can interfere with, with law enforcement there. Um, I, I, I'm just I'm really struck that we haven't been a bit more creative in, in finding some things. I mean, you things that are important, you find the resources for, and clearly we haven't done that. So it makes me think, well, how important are these these human beings? Many who've left pretty desperate situations. I mean, Venezuela—probably not a place that I'd want to go right now. Mm-hmm. But but uh, but
0: the the from a political standpoint, the Democrats have pointed uh, to Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, as the bad guy because he's putting people on buses and sending them to large cities. Matt Barron, a journalist, I want to get your response. Uh, is that fair or is he – what what he is doing, obviously he's calling in the hypocrisy of big city mayors, but also he's basically saying, hey, I can't deal with this. I need help.
3: Well, you know, to me that's a classic case of theory versus practice, right? It's easy in theory to have a viewpoint, but when it's on your doorstep, it's it's a whole different matter. So uh, I don't necessarily – in fact, I, I think the way it's gone about has been um, needlessly – Um, spiteful and and divisive, but that's, that marks our whole nation on many issues. So, um, but yeah, absolutely. I think it's a national problem and should be dealt with nationally. And I think obviously now we need to have uh, the cities figure out a way to re- distribute uh, these folks just in terms of resources.
0: Rosanna Polito also joins us. We've got a break for a moment, Rosanna, and I don't want to interrupt you uh, in, in, in mid-thought. But again, you've been on with this subject for what, 25, 30 years? Correct. So you've been through various incarnations of this story. Uh, there were some good times and some bad times. I think you would agree that maybe these are some of the worst times. We will hear from Rosanna when we continue. 1-800-723-8289. is the solution? to the influx of people from around the nation and around the world who are coming to the United States in search of a better life. I'm Bruce Dumont.
4: Oh, hello. You know, these days, I'm often quoted as saying, you can't believe everything you read on the internet. People forget that I was the first technology president using the telegraph, T-mails as I like to call them, to communicate with my generals. Well, today we are fighting a cybersecurity war, and our best defense is for folks to follow some of these tips when they're online. If it seems too good to be true, it probably is. Hover your cursor over links to determine the true web address. Look for misspellings and poor grammar, which are warning signs of fraud. Be suspicious of emails requesting urgent action, and never give away sensitive personal information. With malware for none, with cyber protection for all, this is your humble servant, Abraham Lincoln.
2: The Central and Midwestern U.S. averages more than 850 tornadoes each year. And lately, the number of floods has been rising in the region, too. So chances are, there will be more twisters and floods near here again. And between school, sports, and social lives, chances are, you won't be with your kids when it happens. Will they know what to do? Ready.gov slash kids has all the educational tools and information to make the conversation easy. When the time comes, chances are, they'll feel prepared, not scared. So talk with your family today.
0: Bruce Sumont back we continue with our guest and Roseanne Polito we thank you very much for uh, joining us Uh, my question to you you you, by the way you you have been on this program for well over 20 years Uh, you were one of the first people that were regular guests on this show talking about this issue. So you've seen from where it was 20 years ago to where it is today. Mm -hmm. Was there a period during that time when you slept comfortably knowing that your issue was being dealt with at the highest levels?
5: Uh, Yeah, when Trump was president. Um, Honestly, uh, while I am a Republican, uh, staunch conservative Republican, uh, I have plenty of criticism for Republicans. See, everyone is pointing their fingers right now at the Democrats, but the Republicans have been uh, just as unresponsible in their positions. And, you know, with the conversations that just went on that I heard, um, I believe we have a lack of leadership in our country, whether it be on the Democrats or the Republican side. Um and was it was
0: it was it in your view was it leadership what governor uh, Abbott did in Texas by basically well, saying i can't deal with all this i'm not getting the attention of the federal government and the only way i'm going to get the attention of the federal government is to bust people to big cities to create the chaos we now have to
5: welcoming cities and bruce rauner made us a sanctuary mm-hmm. Uh, state
0: Former governor of Illinois.
5: Yes, sir. Republican governor of Illinois. So is that just a nice little name, or are our legislators making this and calling you a sanctuary state? Well, there's consequences to doing that, mm-hmm. and they're seeing them right now.
0: Do you see, Ray, do you see the the, the term sanctuary city? Is that... Is that something that Democrats are going to rue uh, in some political election of the future? Because uh, the Republicans, at least, are trying to tie that term around the necks uh, of Democratic leaders. And you're, you're, you're technically, you're a Democratic Ward committee, but you don't run as a Democrat for Alderman in Chicago. We should mention that. But you're more of a Democrat than a Republican, I think. Maybe not.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> depends who you ask. But yes, Bruce, yes, I am a Democrat. Um, but look, I want to say that I think Rosanna is right, that there is a failure leadership. And to be perfectly honest, you wouldn't need these academic exercises, or as Matt said, a theoretical exercise in in sanctuary cities, if you had a federal government that actually fixed the immigration system in this country. There would be no such thing as a sanctuary or welcoming city for undocumented if you had a system that didn't create a backlog backlog of millions of individuals, either trying to get naturalized, trying to get legal status, or feeling like they have to sneak in because it's going to be a 20-year wait to get their paperwork done. That is. Do we
0: need? Do we need? Ray, to you, I want to. I want to get everybody's reaction to this. Ray, to you first. Do we need a national moratorium? on all entry into the United States, legal and illegal, for a period of time during which hopefully the government will get their act together. I want to get quick quick response from everybody. First to you. Moratorium.
1: I'd fully respond a five year moratorium on entry into this country until our immigration system was fixed.
0: Okay. Uh, Phil Beverly. Five uh, year a five year moratorium. As a, as a practical matter, no. Okay. Uh, Matt, Barron.
3: I would echo what Phil just said. I think uh, scale back the quotas, but I think it's unrealistic to go to zero. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely.
5: We need to solve our own problems. We need to take care of our Americans.
0: Why would would it be impossible in your view, Matt?
3: I I just think that um, internationally, all the situations that arise, I think it's impossible to anticipate what can happen. Looking at what's happening in Ukraine for the last 18 months, uh, as one example of the displacement of millions of people, and now that's Europe. But um, I just, I, I'm very skeptical that we could go to zero. But, it's but like when, prohibition didn't work either.
0: But but when these things happen, is there a time when the United States, as a nation and its leaders, basically say, "We'd love to help, we just can't help for five years," and say it and mean it? I mean, I, you don't I think, think that that, can I happen. think that
3: goes too much against the grain of. of so much of how we, how we identify as a nation from the beginning of, of a nation of uh, welcoming people um, from all over, um, you know, what the Statue of Liberty represents. I realize that we fall far short of that in reality, but I, I think that it's just too far of a bridge.
0: Ray Lopez to you. I mentioned you represent a large portion of Mexican Americans, many of whom are here legally. How, how do those constituents, How are they reacting to the influx of non-citizens coming from not only Mexico, but from around the nation, and they're not legalized or they don't have paperwork in any way? What's their reaction?
1: There are many individuals who, in my community, who are of Mexican descent, either emigrated here legally or not, or or become naturalized here, who feel that the system is being manipulated by our, our latest of asylum seekers from Venezuela and other parts of Central America who are using our system just to get access into this country. Look, you know, it's interesting to hear individuals say this isn't who we are when going back from George Bush, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, Trump, you know, we've deported millions of individuals, primarily Mexican individuals who are here undocumented. We have no issue in this country sending people back regardless what our values on the Statue of Liberty are. But now we are making great exception. And as Phil said, we are putting individuals who we are allowing to come here under the guise of asylum to live in uh, inhumane and despicable conditions, not just in Chicago, but in New York, LA, and everywhere else that they're being shipped in. Having them live in tents, having them live in squalor, having them barely get fed. And all of this is just one giant grift from all the providers who are saying that they are taking care of these individuals. We can say no, we can make exceptions for when there's a war or if there's another F where we have like, we're seeing like humanitarian issues in Puerto Rico because of a hurricane or the Af- Afghan individuals who are trying to flee following the collapse of our withdrawal. We can make exceptions for that. But just to have an open door that allows everyone to come in unchecked with no repercussions is simply not sustainable until we get the system straightened out.
2: Phil Beverly reaction to that. Uh, I. I I think because of the complexity of immigration, sometimes we we see it as this sort of monolithic issue that just has this sort of group of of policies that need to be implemented. And it just is so complex that we need to take each piece of it, right? So the exceptions that the Alderman talks about are are important and we need to be able to, to do that really nimbly and I don't know that our government has ever been really nimble. Um, and we need to, to look at sort of cutting off the, the demand part of, of undocumented workers wanting to come here, which is where they're getting jobs. As soon as you start in, in incarcerating some of these people who are employing undocumented workers, maybe we'll see a, a, a bit more incentive for the government what, to behave a little differently. What is the I asked
0: Ray? What was the reaction in the Mexican-American community? Because he represents them. Uh, You're an African-American. You joined us on the program this evening. You have for 20 years now. Uh, What is the discussion if we were to be in a black barbershop or in in a black Mm -hmm. neighborhood? How would they be reacting to this news that we're all dealing with tonight? Would they see it differently?
2: I think they see it as... Um, and, and this isn't sort of a, a universal belief. The the black community is as diverse sort of politically, socially, culturally as, as any in the country. And I think in this city, especially on the south and west sides, where there's been historic disinvestment that's created food deserts and housing inequities and, and uh, an education system that's not been the best for many black citizens here, they would say, oh, we've got money to deal with immigrants who got here five minutes ago, but we don't have the resources to deal with people who've lived here for generations. Ray, are you, are,
0: you, are you hearing, that, I, want to, I want to get every reaction, but, but again, you represent a group of, uh, in your ward. Are you seeing and are you sensing this this split or this this battle that's going on between uh, Hispanics and and Blacks.
1: Actually, I think there are segments of the Latino and African American community that are completely aligned in their in their disdain for what they're seeing as mm-hmm. undue opulence given to the asylum seekers who are yeah. here. So Bill's point. Well, Even that's what five five minutes, minutes, five I saw. generations Yeah,
0: I, I mentioned this uh, several weeks ago, right after it occurred. But I went out uh, at least a couple of three months ago. Uh, I was invited to go to a, an appearance by Vivek Ramaswamy on the south side of Chicago, and again uh, he was giving his you know campaign speech, and uh, when the issue of affirmative action came up, uh, the audience reacted in a far different way than Vivek Ramaswamy talked about it. But the issue that the nerve that he really hit was on the issue of illegal immigration and what was happening to the neighborhood. And this was, this was almost an entirely black audience. They were irate with what was happening in their community. And again, I, I've now seen that in public demonstrations in Chicago. We saw it last week uh, in New York. Uh, there there's this is this is an issue that really could create a, I think it could create quite you know civil unrest if you will uh, in the body politic because you have constituencies that politically m- may have been on the same side in the past I don't think they're on the same side now they are they are irate they don't see a solution to it they want a solution and uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some more solutions. And are there things that we can be doing internationally beyond the borders of the United States that would cut down on the number of people who want to come here? And how big is big and how many is too many? That's
4: Turn up the radio and discover all that Illinois has to offer.
2: Find your road trip at enjoyillinois.com.
0: back in Chicago and we're going to take a moment and let everybody introduce themselves and we're going to begin with uh, Ray Lopez. Ray give us a good uh, 30 seconds on who you are that for people that don't know who you are.
1: Sure I'm Raymond Lopez I'm an alderman in the city of Chicago first elected in 2015 serving in my third term now. I represent the southwest side of the city in some of the most historic neighborhoods predominantly uh, uh, Latino uh, ward with high pockets of African Americans, as well as a uh, European ethnics, uh, blue collar ward
2: with a blue collar alderman. Mm-hmm. And next we have Phil Beverly, Phil. I'm a, a retired college professor who's returned as a lecturer now. Um, Cause I just love teaching and have been involved in observing Chicago politics for over 30 years.
0: And uh, politically, give everybody a little background on you because uh, uh, I've described you as a progressive, but uh, you uh, you don't necessarily always go with the grain of the Democratic National Party.
2: I, I do not. Um, I'm I, I'm not going to say I'm a progressive sort of ideologically and practically. I understand that you can't spend your way out of things, and money isn't always going to solve the problems that we face.
0: However, uh, historically, you are an African-American college professor from Chicago who was not in the first wave of people who supported Barack Obama. You supported someone else early on. I did. and
2: Very unique. That was my mistake. I got to tell you, I'm— still surprised at 2008 actually i'm I'm still surprised <laughs> matt barron joins us matt a little background
3: thanks bruce uh you know i met you in 2016 in my role working in the pr communications field but at the same time that often means going back to my original practice of being a journalist i was a journalist for over 25 years going back to 1984 when i was in high school and I uh, wrote for seven years for the Chicago Tribune, freelance for uh, Time Magazine, as well as a whole host of other smaller publications, mm-hmm. um, and huh? live in Oak Park. And, and uh, then, I voted in nine presidential elections, well, Bruce. And what what, what <clears> do you remember <throat>
0: from meeting me in
3: 2016? Oh, well, nice tee up there. Uh, <laughs> you, were, you were speaking to an Oak Park River Forest group, which 85% plus um, strongly Democratic progressive, and you said... This is not a done deal. Hillary Clinton is not a shoe in to win this presidency. And as it turns out, you were right. And, uh, and uh, you didn't say for sure that Trump would win, but you said this is a dogfight. And so things will be very interesting, and that was very true. So, And I was about to say, by the way, I, I voted in nine presidential elections. I've voted on both sides of the spectrum, and I've also voted for third-party candidates. So I am the ultimate independent.
0: So am I. I think i th- I think I could probably uh, match you on some of those points also we should mention parenthetically he is the world's walking encyclopedia on sports memorabilia some night we're gonna have Matt back and we're gonna do a we're gonna do a program on sports which we never talk about but again he is just absolutely a master on the subject and uh, Roseanne polito I mentioned that uh, you and I have been doing programs for well over twenty years but a little bit about about your background when you're not here and we should mention you're very active for Donald Trump's re-election in Chicago.
5: That's right. I was uh, one of the original Minutemen on the Arizona-Mexico border in 2005. I was invited to testify before Congress on how illegal immigration is destroying America. Uh, And I am the Illinois State Advisor for the Federation for American Immigration Reform. I let them know about the bills that are coming through the pike Mm -hmm. and my most recent venture is I'm with the Illinois Freedom Alliance and I'm the communications director Uh, Illinois Freedom Alliance is a gathering place for conservatives in Illinois who want to change the landscape here so uh, it's a great place to come and get trained and we're doing it county by county
0: I want, to, I want to come back to the subject that we were discussing before the break, and that is, and I'm going to start with you, Rosanna. What should the United States be doing, if anything, in your opinion, to, to dissuade people from coming here from other countries around the world who think the United States is the be-all, to end-all? This is where they want to live. This is, they aspire to the American dream, Correct. but they, they are living in a country where that dream is never going to come true.
5: Well, um, Bruce, I'm a senior citizen. I collect Social Security. And these Look people, pretty
0: good, no gray hair. Thank you.
5: Um, I love Claro. Um, you know, these people are coming here getting more money than most seniors who've built the country and who fought for the country. What's wrong with this picture?
0: How do they do that?
5: They're, uh, you know, it's been on national news. They're getting $2,200 a month. So there's a lot of promises, a lot of them. People say this all the time. They get, th- that's been on the news. Is it but with but
0: the $2200. $2, $2200 yes. is that for is that for an illegal immigrant or is yes. that for someone who's an asylum seeker?
5: asylum seeker to me, it's I've not
0: heard that figure. Has anybody heard yes. that figure before?
5: Yeah. It, Ray, have you heard no. that figure? Yeah. So, no, let, let, be
0: let, 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 let's go to I'm going to go to Ray first. We're going to come back to you. Ray, have you did, when when people arrive here, um, the money they have in their pocket, would, I've assumed that's money that they've, they've brought with them from other countries having after having paid out thousands of dollars to a coyote. Is that true?
1: So I think we have to differentiate, Bruce, what we're talking about here. Okay. Because there's a difference between the asylum seekers who have been processed at the border, claiming they are seeking asylum at their port of entry, and are given some packet of assistance by the federal government once they're here, but by and large, the millions of undocumented individuals, those who have crossed illegally, who are either working with uh, false social security numbers or what have you, are not collecting benefits. They are not getting any kind of taxpayer assistance. They are paying into a system that they will never be able to access because nothing comes back to them, even though their employers are paying the payroll taxes and sales taxes and all the other taxes. That they pay for. So I think we just have to make sure that we're not mixing apples and oranges because there are more undocumented that are without papers in this country than there are asylum seekers because of this present crisis. And the asylum seekers are getting limited support in this moment, but probably far outweighed by how much has been contributed by the undocumented working illegally you, in this country.
0: Do you know, based, and this is back to one of the earlier questions I asked you, uh, as, a, as an alderman in a city that, that is saying that they, they now want to build tents, okay. and you say you don't know what the total numbers are, is there any way for you or Mayor Johnson to know how many of these people that are getting off a bus, how many of them are illegal immigrants, and how many of them are asylum seekers? Is, there, is anybody keeping track on what those real numbers are? Well,
1: everyone that's coming off the bus and that's been processed at the border seeking asylum is considered an asylum seeker. They have their their merit hearing date scheduled with uh, Homeland Security. They are in the asylum process as they're landing in the city of Chicago and in many of these cities that are being bused because they've been processed in the border states once they've crossed over from Mexico or wherever they've come from. In the city of Chicago, we have about 14,000. I think New York City has well over uh, Hundred and ten thousand or more, um, but those are technically asylum seekers. They are not the uh, same as the undocumented workers or okay. undocumented individuals we've previously talked
0: about. And again, you say they have some; they've received some compensation from from the federal government once they've adjudicated, they've been told they're a, an asylum seeker. They get some money. Yeah, some of them are getting
1: some of them are getting um, like debit cards. They've gotten cell phone card cell okay. phones. Some of them are getting housing assistance at the various locations that they're going to, but none of that is permanent. Most of that's only for six months as they try to establish themselves, waiting to see what's going to happen next. And in many cases, the asylum seekers' court date is three to six years from today.
0: Can they once, if if, if they are an asylum seeker, and again, I think one of the things that I wanted to do tonight was to try to separate the, the, the various populations of people that we're talking about. The asylum seekers who uh, who were abiding by US law because someone has said you're an asylum seeker and their papers have been stamped like that and they've been given as you say some compensation so they are going to seek a judge at some point in the future and during that period of time, are they allowed to work in the United States during that period while they're waiting final adjudication No. They are not. They have
1: they have no They have no legal work status until a determination has been made to the merits of the hearing of their asylum, which is why so many are saying since the federal government and Secretary Mayorkas has issued a six-year date down the road for their hearing, that they should be given temporary worker status so that no state or, or government should have to support them and that they can work for themselves.
0: Rosanna, back to you. Yes. Do you see the difference uh, insofar as your position – between the asylum seekers that are they're, they're abiding by U.S. law, and those that are totally illegal, who are not abiding by U.S. law, do you do you draw a difference between that one group of, of people are are okay or or better than the other?
5: You know what, Bruce? I do, I believe so many games are being played uh, that these people on the on the Mexico side of the border are given what to say, what to do to come over to seek asylum. And I don't, be, I don't believe a lot. Unfortunately, I don't. Too many uh, agencies are in the mix, and they, they uh, get financial benefits by getting these people over here. That's fact. Who? Who, who gets better? Uh, Catholic Charities. There's plenty of uh, different organizations that do. And they're over on the other side telling them what to say, what to do. And you've seen on the different news channels, they throw away everything when they're on the other side of the border. It's like a wasteland. So I wish it was we knew the truth. I don't believe we do. Do you think we know the truth, Matt?
3: Oh, boy. Don't tempt me with that. Well, the truth is often determined by... Um, just your sourcing. And, and so, you know, where are you getting your information from? How reliable is it? And as I was taught in journalism school, if your mother tells you she loves you, check it, check out. it out. We have to pause.
0: 1-800-723-80289. we have got a good conversation going this evening. 1-800-723-80289. we have got callers on the line, and we will bring them into our conversation when we continue from Elk Grove Village tonight. I'm Bruce Dumont.
4: precise no margin for error dare to forget that dare to have fun with it get weird with it dare to send those old stem theories flying past the neighbor's house into outer space dare to program something internet breaking record
0: breaking dare to blow their minds dare to learn the difference between sedimentary and metamorphic rock go find those rocks dare to keep daring
4: dare to stem check out She Can stem to get started Flintstones, meet the
2: Flintstones. They're the, of the, family.
4: From the of meet George His boy Al
5: With instant acceleration, electric cars are more fun to drive and more affordable than ever. Electric cars are here. Plug into the present.
3: A long story. it's something. time for another program right
0: Bruce, two months back we continue with beyond the beltway and uh, uh matt baron was about to make a point before the uh before the break go ahead
3: oh um i'm sorry Bruce. i, I was caught off guard what was the question uh, i don't remember what the question <laughs> I feel like was. a teacher calling me <laughs> in the back of class <laughs>
0: okay uh i want to go to you phil, phil beverly uh Getting back to sort of the, the, the politics of, of where this stands, um, where does this go? And, and does do you think the Democratic Party views this as a, is this a ticking time bomb for them? Or do they think they can survive just by blaming the Republicans and Donald Trump for everything?
2: Bruce, I think it's a ticking time bomb for both parties, actually, because both have had ample opportunity to address the issue when they control both houses of Congress and the White House, and it's been literally decades since we've had any substantial immigration reform, and so both of them need to get hauled before the principal and and in Catholic school tradition, have their hand smacked with a ruler because they're both equally guilty. Mm-hmm.
0: A, a political question which has nothing to do with tonight's subject, but again, I want to ask you because you're the you're the uh, you're one of the uh, you're one of the official card-carrying Democrats on the program this evening, and I mention that because uh, Ray is a, is a is award committee, but I want to get his reaction as well. The Democratic National Committee is going to meet next week, and they're going to ratify the rules for 2024. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. has said that those rules are, are geared against him and against independent challenges. Uh, these are very similar to the charges that Bernie Sanders made against Hillary Clinton, Uh, back in 2016. And my question to you is, at this moment, given what you know about this, including the president wanting to move up the primary in New Hampshire to South Carolina, because it's more to his liking than New Hampshire was, is the Democratic Party truly um, democratic when it comes to Robert Kennedy and and others that uh, seek to change some of the rules?
1: No, I don't think that they are very inclusive at all, and I was actually a delegate at the convention for Hillary Clinton uh, when she ran, and I do remember the the Bernie uprising and everyone trying to make sure that there was no off-script maneuvering by any of the delegates that were there uh, for the, the senator. You know, I think that the Democratic Party, and probably to a lesser extent the Republican Party, like things being controlled, like knowing what the outcome is going to be like having the program followed and any kind of deviation from that in the name of letting the people speak and letting other people have their say is not something that either party wants, but they're, they're the same, they're the opposite sides of the same coin right now. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that as a party leader myself and how they operate, because if they were truly interested in having a democratic conversation, and then they would have the, they have People's ability to voice their opposition to the current president
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, heard. In Chicago, I was the only Democratic committeeman in Cook County who actually voted against endorsing Joe Biden for his reelection. Because I felt that you have to hold the administration accountable for its failures as well as lift it up for its successes. And right now, the humanitarian failure is going unanswered.
0: Phil Beverly, your reaction to that also is another card-carrying Democrat this evening?
2: You know, it's funny, Bruce, I'm not surprised that the Democratic Party hasn't sort of changed much. I I was at the DNC at the convention in 96, for example, and what was very interesting was that they had uh, a list, uh, a a sort of listing of the script for the convention, and they had in the script planned spontaneity. (laughs) And I thought, oh my God, planned spontaneity. Can you micromanage this even more than that? And and so it it doesn't surprise me. And I think it's it's just sort of if you're in charge, you make the rule. Mm
0: -hmm. One other question, again, to you, Phil, first. Uh, uh, Over the weekend, a man was arrested with counterfeit U.S. marshal credentials and carrying uh, two handguns. Uh, in holsters uh, at the same event where Senator, or where where Robert F. Kennedy Jr. uh, was to speak in Los Angeles. Uh, And he was arrested. And uh, it it brings up to a subject that I think Joe Biden is uh, responsible for. Uh, He has said that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. does not deserve Secret Service protection. What's your reaction to that decision?
2: You know, I, I guess I would be sort of curious what the the law says about Secret Service protection, that there has to be some standard. And if if Robert Kennedy Jr. meets the standard, then he absolutely deserves it. If he doesn't meet the standard that affords candidates that protection, then he doesn't get it. And and contrary to you know what the, the popular opinion may be on that, we still are a country that is following the rule of law so whatever the law says let's let's go with that well again, you but, like it
0: well, but we're, we're a country that doesn't necessarily always follow the rule of law. <laughs> Ray right, my question to you again your award committee when I want to get your reaction on uh, on the decision involving uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. it seems to me that he is a he is a unique candidate he clearly is a candidate for President of the United States the Democratic nomination there isn't virtually anybody in the media that gives him that respect. Uh, because they're, they're Johnny One notes in what they perceive to be his Achilles' <laughs> hand in politically. But again, uh, your name is Kennedy, and you're running for President of the United States, and uh, you have a situation over the weekend that it, just, I think, it, it it reinforces what could be a very tragic situation down the line.
1: Well, I think his family's history notwithstanding, I think Phil's point is very clear. And I think the, the follow-up question to that are the Republican candidates getting protection from the secret Service as well, because if they are, and he's not in their primary, then there should be an issue. If they aren't getting protection because we haven't reached that threshold yet, or they haven't filed the official Mm -hmm. paperwork yet or whatever the metric is, then I see no reason for Robert F. Kennedy Jr. to get
5: it either.
0: Okay. Uh, I want to give you a completely different subject, Rosanna. Am I the only one that's concerned about Robert Kennedy's safety? Uh,
5: No, (laughs) Uh, I, 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 don't like the way he is being treated at all you know this it's supposed to be about we the people w- let us hear from him and we decide
3: I want to get the, your response Matt. he strikes me as a frivolous vanity candidate and he has the means to get his own protection and so um, I think if he if he meets the standard as was stated before in terms of uh, meriting secret service protection fine but whatever the the parameters are that we should be followed
0: okay on that note of disagreement. Uh, At least with me, (laughs) we have to pause for our first hour. We say farewell to Phil Beverly, who's joined us for that first hour. Phil, thank you very much. We will continue with our other guests and continue this discussion.
2: Roll over. Chance high five. All right. When you adopt a shelter pet, you discover all the things that make them unique.
0: And your
4: mother I Uh,
2: I am totally a hot person. Right, guys? Thanks for being honest. They're a little bit of a lot of things, but they're all pure love. Adopt pure love at the shelterpetproject.org.
4: Dallas, St. Louis, Nashville, Tuscaloosa. All major cities to feel the destruction caused by a direct hit from a tornado. Is Chicago next? It's not a question of if, but when. And the clock is ticking. Learn what to do now at ready.illinois.gov to become Tornado Ready. Type 2 diabetes can have a big impact
1: on your life, but how can it be prevented? Well, the first step is knowing if you have prediabetes, a serious medical condition that puts you at high risk for type 2 diabetes.
2: One in three American adults has prediabetes, but more than 80% don't know they have it. The good news is prediabetes can be reversed, and for many people, healthy
1: changes in their daily routine can make a big difference. Take the one-minute risk test today at doihaveprediabetes.org.
0: we back in Chicago for hour number two of our program. We continue with uh, Roseanne Polito. She joins us in studio along uh, with Matt Barron and uh, Ray Lopez Alderman from the four, 15th Ward uh, joins us uh, via Zoom this evening. And again, uh, uh, I want to get back to our discussion of illegal immigration and uh, and also uh, I guess the other big issue, obviously, is, uh, uh, is is the asylum seekers, which appears to be a larger number. And again, I think it's important that everybody sort of separates the two, uh, and also to find out, you know, what the, what is the reaction of government to each of those. And, and Ray, my quick question to you is: If someone is an illegal immigrant, uh, as far as you know, they're getting nothing, right? There's there's no support that they are getting from any 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 source.
1: Correct. Now, there's there's generally speaking, there's no housing, there's no government benefit they could apply for uh, from the federal level. There may be municipalities that offer assistance regardless of citizenship or status. Uh, Cities like Chicago, which don't ask if you're a citizen, if you wish to enroll your child in public education or things Mm -hmm. of that nature. but aside from that no there are no federal programs to assist them
0: and you also if you are if you're any citizen and you walk into a hospital you are supposed to be cared for uh whether you can afford that or not is that correct yes So the stories of hospitals around the United States, I've heard this for seven years now, is that emergency rooms around the United States, primarily in California, but not exclusively anymore, uh, they are filled up with uh, illegal immigrants, illegal immigrants, and they're taking up space and they're getting served over uh, taxpayers, and uh, that's obviously uh, concerned a lot of taxpayers. Um, One last question. Uh, You mentioned in the first segment that those who are uh, asylum seekers, they get some compensation from the federal government from the get-go. Do you know if that is a monthly stipend? Do they continue to get money, or is it a one-time only payment? Does anybody know the answer to that question? Nobody. All knows? I can tell you is
5: what's on the news.
0: <laughs> Go ahead, Ray. And I've heard conflicting.
1: I've heard conflicting where it's either. A one, uh, a, like a debit card that gets refreshed, or I heard that it was just like a, a singular payment. So I've heard, mm-hmm. I've heard different stories, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, Secretary Mayorkas and uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement is not very forthcoming with all of their details on what they do. So, okay. you know, we can only be left to speculate.
0: Do you agree that he would? It would be he, the the department in the country would be better if he resigned, Mayorkas, Right.
1: I think so, yes. I think he's been a complete failure in this moment. Um, mm-hmm. I think the fact that uh, he's setting these individuals up for failure and allowing history to repeat themselves. Uh, we've seen where this path has taken us before in the early, in the late 80s and 90s when we had an influx of asylum seekers who were mm-hmm. given court dates years down the road, only to be denied their asylum request mm-hmm. years later. And then going underground in in the la county ultimately becoming the ms13 and now you're spreading that same kind of playbook throughout the rest of this country so there is concern that he has not learned the fact that he refuses to take necessary emergency actions to address these individuals and i have said repeatedly that the homeland security department should be setting up field hearing offices so that we can adjudicate these asylum requests within six months, determine their validity, and if they do not meet the requirements, start deporting individuals immediately, because you're gonna have a whole new generation of individuals here ten years from now when Biden is long gone and Kamala Harris is somewhere else
0: long, then going to find long gone hopefully in this <laughs> well do, do, do you do, does that extend to having field service offices in the countries where they are coming from? Or do you think that should only be in the United States once they get
2: here?
1: No, I think that if you start putting our field offices in other countries, um, you're gonna only exacerbate the problem, especially for asylum seekers. Um, The fact of the matter is you have to make it to this country to be able to ask for asylum. And that's how the law is written. So if you're gonna make it where we'll come to your country to find you, then we're not. It's, it's not going to be asylum anymore. It's going to be uh, citizen recruitment as opposed to asylum.
0: Rosanna uh, Vivek Ramaswamy and uh, Ron DeSantis have both said that there should be some uh, military use. Uh, at the border to prohibit those from coming to the country. Uh, some have gone beyond that and said that they, there should be some sort of incursion into Mexico to try to deal with the issues there because they feel that uh, uh, when, you, when you factor in uh, the illegal immigration issue and you merge that with the fentanyl problem, Absolutely. Uh, that it really warrants that. I, you're shaking your head as I speak, so uh, I assume you believe that both of those uh, candidates are on the right track
5: yes we have a national security issue on our hands and uh absolutely we we have to stop what's going on right now um america first and i, I uh, think that there's a choir of of americans who a year ago wouldn't say that and today are saying us first veterans first people who built the country who fought for the country first absolutely um I hope somebody does something
0: one of the things that when whenever I occasionally will see a homeless person on the street and this is now we want to move to the other issue that that governments all over the country are dealing with, including in Chicago, is when you see a homeless person on the street uh you're in many cases you're assuming that that person has a place to go that night, that they can go to the Pacific Garden Mission, which is huge in Chicago. according to Probably every major city has a similar situation, whether it's through Catholic charities or some religious charities, that there there really is a place to have a, a shelter over their head. At least that's an assumption that I've had. Now, uh, Matt Barron, you, you, this subject is very near and dear to your heart, not only as a journalist, but you have a brother who has spent much of the last 20-plus years uh, on the streets. So my my question to you is, from from that perspective, um, how wrong is my thinking in that if somebody really wants to find a place to sleep that night, they can
3: find it? So I guess, again, I would mention the disconnect sometimes between um, our own theory and then the reality of what is actually um, feasible and realistic given that individual's situation. And this is also not a monolithic group. This is a you know, There's a gamut, but there's a common ground of a lot of mental health issues and drug addiction and alcoholism among a good chunk of that population, my brother included. And I would just, um, one thing I've said to my wife and to other people in my life who know my brother and care about him is it's not logical. Like the steps of what it takes to go from point A to point B might seem simple to us, but there's lots of things that get in that way. Another thing is to know that Uh, oftentimes people that are panhandling and so forth, they actually do have a home to go to, um, but that uh, essentially they're really um, very much on the, you know, there's couch surfing, etc. And so it's it's de facto being an unhoused individual, which is a new new term out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of organizations with the name homeless will have to change their their their, their names and their missions apparently. But um, but yet, yeah, just a little side note on that front. So
0: I want to I want to follow up specifically as it relates to your brother and how you have dealt with that and your family have dealt with that over the last twenty plus years. When we continue one to the callers on the line. Please be patient. We've got a lot of conversations going on this evening, but we will make every effort to get to you. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. We continue with our discussion, uh, which is uh, kind of shifted into a discussion of homelessness. And although we will get back to our other issue uh, as the program unfolds this evening. Uh, but Matt Barron, you were, uh, during before the break, you were telling the story of, of your older brother, Phil mm-hmm. is his name, and uh, how it's affected, how you've watched it affect his life. But I want you to continue with that story, but answer the question that I asked, which was, If you are homeless on the streets, again, in a major city like Chicago, can that homeless person go to a place like the Pacific Garden Mission and have a head or a place to sleep that night or not?
3: The answer, by and large, is yes, but with the big caveat that there's lots of sacrifices in their view that they need to make in terms of um, cutting off their daily routine of what they do to stay afloat, whether it's through um, panhandling and gathering money so they can uh, buy their next fifth of vodka and their next dose of heroin or whatever their drug of choice may be or drug of addiction may be. And then there's limitations on hours and and capacity. So the first X number of people can get into that shelter. If they're not there in time, then they can't get in. And so I know that's been a recurring. But they have
0: to listen to a sermon. I've heard homeless people complain to me that they could go to the Pacific Garden Mission, but they've got to sit to, through a, you know, a religious sermon, which they are offended by.
3: Yeah. I'm not sure what the parameters and and the protocol is there at the Pacific Garden Mission. Um, so, but yeah, and then also it's the matter of I know in Oak Park where I live, um, for years and I believe it's still the case is where there's a rotation of different churches opening up their basements and providing for, um, you know, men, women, and children to stay there. And it's a shifting, you know, each night of where they can go, um, certain times of the year when it's more available than than otherwise. So it's obviously, it's, it's, it's all temporary, all just stop gaps, trying to help people get up on their feet and to break through into some kind of a, a permanent housing situation.
0: How difficult has it been for you uh, as a successful man to deal with your brother who is, Unsuccessful, at least in the definition of society, and to watch his life for the last twenty plus Mm years—how has it affected you?
3: Yeah, it's been a roller coaster. Uh, It's been a learning process. He's been here in Chicago for twelve years, and uh, but for um, since he's he's been—he's fifty-seven now—and so for about half of his life, he's essentially been um, a nomad and and no traditional employment, um, all across the country, working in a carnival. Um, getting paid his wages were in the form of a six pack and a place to sleep at night. Um, So just uh, that's, that's his, his routine. It's his rut. Um, There are certain areas where, yeah, he's by classical definitions, unsuccessful. He's also someone who I've seen and and, um, and experienced his interactions with other people and know that he's also very beloved by many people, many other homeless people uh, because of his giving nature and his kindness and generosity and looking out for them. So, um, but um, in any event, yeah, it's clearly been a strain on the whole family and something that um, I, I just try to walk with him as best I can. Uh, I'm a Christian, and so I strive with, not just with him but with anyone that I encounter uh, to treat them with dignity and respect and love. And it can be really difficult, though, to know what is the loving thing to do versus what's enabling. And so that's, that's been a really tricky, uh, tightrope that I've walked.
0: In, in his case... Uh, is 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 there an alcohol addiction? Is there a mental illness? Uh, what, from your perspective, either with your own assessment mm-hmm. or through the assessment of of a professional, mm-hmm. have you determined what, what your brother's yeah. problem is?
3: It's a cycle. It's a vicious cycle of medical uh, or mental health issues. Um, but not um, not as extreme as, as I've seen with a lot of other people who are on the streets. Uh, for him, it's a lot of um, alcoholism, uh, drug addiction, um, uh, you know, heroin for the last six plus years was a cheaper, quicker way for him to get to that state of mind that he felt he needed and feels he needs to um, have peace and escape. And he also has described it to me at times as, as an adventure. Each day he's like the protagonist of his own thriller of how he's going to get to the end of the day. And um, as as warped as that may seem to others, for him that's kind of what gets him through. His perseverance physically and mentally is astounding. What he's been willing to put himself through for all that time it tells you just how much the grip of the addictions have on him.
0: Rosanna, you said during the break you, you offered an interesting assessment of someone that you, you've spoken with. i shared that with the audience, if you will.
5: Uh, Yes, my friend, uh, Ted Hayes, who is the so-called czar in L.A. of homelessness, said uh, people have to understand that there is a section of the homeless. They do not want an apartment. If you give it to them, they will not take it. So uh, it's interesting, you know, uh, maybe the average everyday individual, we really don't understand it. And there, there is a lot of mental illness, is what he told me.
0: Ray Lopez, uh, you're. Uh, we've talked uh, about illegal immigration, but again, uh, uh, as an alderman in the city of Chicago, there's there's homelessness that exists in your community uh, as well. What, what what happens in Chicago? What are the, what are the safety nets that are available for someone who is homeless? And and do you believe that they can that they can find a a roof over their head if they really look or, you know, know the streets. And most of them probably know the streets backward and forward.
1: Well, first off, Bruce, I want to just thank Matt for that uh, sharing of his brother's story. I know that can't be easy. And I know that uh, addressing homelessness has never been an easy situation, especially for government, because we're always trying to find a way to put people in housing, especially when they don't want to go. Um, In the past, it's Been easy to say that we're providing shelter that we can count the number of beds, we can count the number of homeless, and just see how far we are at making sure that there's availability for those individuals. But we've seen those beds and that availability strain over the last couple years, not just in Chicago, but throughout the United States, um, because funding isn't there, as well as the new crises that are appearing before us uh, have been pushing other individuals. Our indigenous homeless have had to now compete. Uh, with a lot of the humanitarian crisis mm-hmm. caused by the asylum seekers in some of the major cities throughout the city of mm-hmm. Chicago, but I think what's difficult for all of us to understand, especially in government, is that you can just because you can create the unit doesn't mean you're going to be able to force someone to to put their head on that pillow, to go into that shelter, to seek that help. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, uh, it's not just that they don't want to listen to a sermon or or go register. They just don't want to give up their freedom of being on the street or they're having some sort of mental illness uh, that just demands that they stay uh, in solitude on the street in their, own, in their own universe, in their own reality. And I've seen that even in my own neighborhood here where I have a young man who's been on the street for nearly 10 years. He lives on a corner two blocks from where his mother has a home and yet he refuses to go home because in his mind, because of his mental condition, The streets are safer than the voice than what the voices tell him. Mm -hmm. So that's something that government maybe cannot fix universally, despite some of our our more left and socialist uh, members who think that you can solve it with government. Mm -hmm. The best you can do, just as Matt said, provide a Christian outlet for them in a safe and and, uh, nurturing environment. You
0: you mentioned a Christian outlet. I mean, is aren't religions, uh, be they Catholic, Protestant, or Jewish, aren't those Religious organizations, the really the, they're in the forefront. Mm-hmm. They're, they're the first line oh, yeah. of defense against this, right? Yeah, and it's not. And
3: they, yeah, and I, and I think it's you know I mean this is going to sound cliched, but some of my best friends are also atheists, and they are some of the most you know kind and thoughtful people as well. And so it's not specific to just Christianity and uh, and, and that kind of a walk, but it's also anyone you encounter to try to imagine this is someone's son or daughter, mm-hmm. uh, maybe even a, a parent or sibling and that uh, what would you do if this was in your family tree?
0: One of the things that you do as a journalist, you have a blog, Mm -hmm. uh, Matt, and uh, I want to give everybody an opportunity to get a piece of paper and a pen, uh, so because we're going to give that blog address of Matt, because uh, it's an ongoing blog. Uh, It doesn't exclusively deal with his brother, Phil, but frequently the articles deal with his brother, Phil, and how he interacts with him and fills and life on the street and his ability to survive. So I'm sure that we have, listening to the program or watching the program this evening, uh, perhaps even thousands of people who have similar circumstances, uh, as does uh, Matt Barron, and uh, having an availability or Being able to read a blog from someone with a similar position I think uh, might be beneficial to you. So I ask you to do that. We'll do that in the next segment. And uh, one of my last questions on this subject, uh, uh, and that is, uh, Matt, is when you see someone who's asking for money on the street, what do you do now?
3: You know, it's a good question. You know, I'm um, I'm not that much different than I used to be, which was – In the moment, I would decide. I would always try to be respectful. Sometimes we'd give money, sometimes a food bar, something practical. Um, So, yeah, it's all discernment in the moment um, because, in a way, I know too much almost. And so, my brother Phil almost has kind of uh, warned me against sometimes giving um, based on the peculiarities of the situation. He doesn't even accept money from me most of the time now because our relationship has evolved to that point where he wants to make it on his own. Um, So, Um, But I do try to, uh, and I know my brother Phil is on his fridge because he has a subsidized apartment, thank goodness, for the last two and a half years, and he has... um little notes that children have given to him being in the backseat of a car, and and he weeps. He weeps even recalling those situations, let alone in the moment. So he's very moved by it. So these are human beings. And so I think even if you don't give money, and sometimes maybe it's not the best thing to give money, a smile, affirmation, treat someone with respect as a fellow human being, Mm -hmm. going through some kind of hellish experience. Mm -hmm.
0: I want to get a reaction from our other guests to that same question, and uh, you perhaps uh, can answer it at home <laughs> back to the radio or TV tonight. What what do you do when you encounter a homeless person? And I know uh, one thing i like to add to what you said is uh, if it's someone that I see on a regular basis, I try to find out what their first name is. I introduce them to m- me, and so at least I can say, you know, good morning, Greg, or whoever the case may be uh, each and every day. Uh, and occasionally uh, a donation. Which uh, hopefully I can afford. I'm Bruce Dumont. Back shortly. Bruce Dumont, we continue on Beyond the Beltway, wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. It's nice to have you with us this evening. And uh, I've just been told that we may have a little technical issue. So let me ask a question and find out whether Ray Lopez can hear me or not. Ray, are you there? I can hear you. Okay, you can hear me. Okay, we, well, I don't know whether we can see you or not, but uh, we cannot see you. So it'll just be that the, the, your dulcet tones. Uh, I mentioned earlier <laughs> in the program that Mayor Johnson, uh, the, mayor of, the new mayor of Chicago, uh, has announced that he wants to have, he wants to build tents throughout the city. Uh, to house uh, the illegal immigrants and asylum seekers that are coming to Chicago. Uh, h- how much of that idea has been shared with you or members of the city council?
1: So we had a very brief overview on this matter about two weeks ago. We were told that the uh, tents, the out, the massive outdoor tents can hold up to a 1,000 individuals and will cost roughly about $2 million each. Um Locations yet to be determined, um, but I know that approximately every week we're seeing a thousand new arrivals uh, from the border states and from other sanctuary states and cities like Den- uh, coming out of like Colorado and New York. Um, so I don't know how prepared they are to spend fifty million dollars to try and make this a reality in the city of Chicago. Considering we've got about fifty more weeks until the Democratic National convention arrives and we've had plenty of reassurances from some of our uh, uh, southern governors that they can send migrants every week for the rest of the year to the city of Chicago.
0: So you were getting the influx that's coming into Chicago, uh, just so that I make sure I heard you correctly, it isn't just from Greg Abbott in Texas. Other cities and other municipalities all over the country are putting people on buses and bringing them to Chicago?
1: Yes, originally Greg Abbott and I know to a lesser extent Ron DeSantis, Ron DeSantis were sending individuals uh, here uh, starting around August 2022. But in in the years since, we now have airplanes bringing them in from Denver. We have New York, which is you know sending them, and not to be outdone, the federal government is now sending people and directing them to the city of Chicago as well,
0: with no money. There's no money that's being provided to them? Well,
1: no, with little money to them and more specifically having Chicago have to beg for money from the federal government to address the issue in our city.
0: So the $2 million per uh, tent that the mayor has proposed, is that $2 million, is that in some fund somewhere in the city budget? We should mention that the city budget is going to be, what, uh, what, $560? $60 $60 million over over budget. Um, I may be wrong on that figure, but um, in other words, is there a line item that, that's going to pay for these things or not?
1: No, the mayor has basically been pulling from this fund or that fund to try and cobble together the money to spend. And the city of Chicago up to this point has spent roughly $120 million of its own money in the, since January of this year, in addition to roughly Thirty million from the state and federal governments, all told, about a 70000000 dollars uh, to address this crisis in our city.
0: Is it true that no he has asked? Fight. Is it true that he has asked each of the fifty aldermen in Chicago to find uh, space in their respective wards to put up these tents? Is that true or not?
1: Yes, the mayor has told the, the members of the city council who represent the seventy seven communities that he wants their help in identifying two to three locations for shelters and that if they don't, then he will just start finding locations himself.
0: Have you found that uh, location in your ward? Well, I
1: was one of the first members of the city council to open up a shelter in my ward um, to try to clear out those that were residing in the police stations. We turned up one of our field houses into a shelter, which now houses over 350 individuals. Um, before we even just consider finding another place in my ward, you know there are many of the progressive and socialist members of the city council who espouse daily on the virtues of being a welcoming city, who absolutely refuse to create a shelter in their ward. And I've told the administration that before you look at any more places in mine they better start putting up shelters in theirs.
0: Uh, just to re- refresh that, because there'd be people around the country that don't know we have a significant number of so- Democratic Socialist mayors or-, or aldermen in the city of Chicago. And you mentioned that some of them are basically talking a game but not putting up. Would you would you care to name any of those people?
1: Well, I think if we look at, for example, the head of the Immigration and Refugee Rights Committee in the- on the City Council, Alderman Andre Vasquez of the 40th Ward has none. The head of the Democratic Socialist Caucus, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, he has none. I think Alderman Daniel Espada, another socialist, he has none. Um, And there are a number of other progressive aldermen who don't as well, Um, but they talk a great game. Until he has to put it into practice, and at which point they balk and, and shift and pivot and do everything else they can do to get out of the conversation.
0: Now, those around the country, we should mention though, those are, I would say, middle class uh, Hispanic neighborhoods or wards. But my other question is, obviously, we have some affluent wards in Chicago. Uh, have any of those people volunteered or come up with a location in their respective uh, neighborhoods?
1: By and large, no. Most of most of the higher end neighborhoods have yet to share in the burden, and I think to I think it was Phil's point in the first part, segment when he talked about the fifty vacant schools from the uh, ROM administration mm-hmm. that were closed that could potentially be used. You know, all of those schools are in African American communities, which is only heightening the tensions between migrants and the African American community as right. they see that investment just for them. And not having taken place at any point before this to help the, those respective communities,
0: are there are there anybody are they specifically looking at let's say uh, uh, defunct uh, shopping centers? I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of large areas that would have some degree of plumbing in place because it would seem to me that that would be one of the the bigger costs if we're going to retrofit buildings or even even create well, them for for tents. Well.
1: When it comes to the tent, everything is brought in, right, to the outdoor shower units and things of that nature. And as far as the vacant buildings, most of them, you have to remember, Bruce, have been vacant and abandoned and unmaintained for nearly a decade. So the expense in in retrofitting them is going to be monumental. So I think, you know, there's plenty of conversation in the city of Chicago now, and I think we might even start to trend nationwide. Um, A number of my colleagues, Alderman Beal, Napolitano and myself, and some others, want to actually put the welcoming city concept before the voters and we've introduced for a ballot initiative a referendum Mm -hmm. if you will before the city voters next spring saying shall the city of chicago continue to be a welcoming city right because oftentimes politicians think that life that that policy making is an academic exercise right um, until it becomes reality. No, I think that, that, is, that that's, that's,
0: a, that's a terrific idea. was one of the questions I think I posed at the beginning of the program. I mean, you could have a politician say we're going to be a welcoming city, but if he turns around and no one is supporting him, we, be they aldermen or, or or constituents, then uh, they've created a real problem. And we should mention, by the way, that the concept of the welcoming city goes back to Harold Washington a long, long time ago in the 1980s, who was, I think was the first Chicago mayor that used that, uh, that term uh, when he also announced that, he, that the city of Chicago would not be cooperative with federal uh, uh, immigration officials and in and, and law enforcement. So that's, and again, you, you, I just want to underscore one point because this, this may be lost in, in, in uh, two hours of great conversation tonight. Uh, this is happening, and this is for people around the country. This issue, which is real, Ray Lopez is going to be dealing with this tomorrow morning uh, and dealing with the city of Chicago and and a relatively new mayor and 49 other uh, aldermen figuring out where to put up tents in the city of Chicago during the wintertime at about $2 million a tent. And this is happening on the eve, relatively speaking, of the Democratic Convention coming to Chicago next summer. So can you imagine what the national story will be if, in the alleged greatest nation on earth, we're having a democratic election or a nomination or a coronation in a city where uh, every news media in the in the world is going to be juxtaposing the closest tent uh, that's housing, you know, a, a thousand immigrants or? you know, asylum seekers from around the world. I mean, the... The
3: the, The OA Olympics, right? The O8 Olympics in China or Sochi in Russia. This is something that happens all across the globe and certainly it's coming home here.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that is going to be a big, big story. Mm -hmm. Ray, one last question to you. For those listening uh, who've been uh, regular listeners to this program, uh, you were a very frequent critic of uh, uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, it's been a relatively short period of time since our new mayor. Uh, how would you rate the new mayor versus the old married mayor insofar as communication with you personally concerned?
1: Well, definitely the new mayor and I have had more conversations, more texts, more engagement than in the last four weeks than I had in the last four years with Lori Lightfoot. Um, although I personally think I would love to be a guest speaker at her Harvard teaching class.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> well well um, you should be but so so, be. so so so. just to make, make sure I understand so things are better not necessarily great but they're improving insofar as your relations with the chief executive in the city of chicago
1: well they are but you know i i caution that with there's a difference between being between listen listening and hearing okay and got it you know He listens to what we say, but I want to make sure that he's hearing what we have to say when it comes to the issues in our streets and our neighborhoods, and especially when it comes to public safety and standing with our brave men and women in law enforcement.
0: Very good. Ray Lopez, thanks very much. Stand by. We have another segment coming up. I'm Bruce Dumont. This is Beyond the Beltway. We're diving into our fourth and last segment on this uh, second hour of our broadcast this evening, segment number eight. As uh, Fritz and I return, that's that Inside Showbiz, how we refer to this segment, segment eight. Uh, We do have callers on the line. I promise we're going to get to them. But again, I also promise that uh, uh, Matt Barron would be able to give the uh, uh, the website, the blog, of how to find... you to, to learn more about your perspective about uh, you, you and homelessness as it relates to your brother.
3: Thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, there's two different, well, many different ways, but one is on Substack, that great platform for a lot of writers. If you just type in the Inside Edge, that is my Substack name. Another one, uh, so it's Inside Edge, it's uh, uh Substack.com forward slash in the inside edge, or I may have reversed it just now. But another one is tinyurl. Remember those tinyurl.com yeah, t- com forward slash Matt Writes. M A T T, W R I T E S. Okay. So
0: very good. Again, it uh, again if, if if you are dealing with this uh, on a daily basis, you may frequently feel that you're all alone. You've got nobody to talk to about it. But, again, uh, that's the uniqueness of, uh, of Matt's uh, unique uh, blog as it relates to his, his older brother, Phil, who has spent uh, much of the last couple of decades uh, on the street uh, willingly, wants to stay on the street. Yeah. Does he come over for dinner periodically?
3: He, he was in the past. Right now there certain parameters that are set. I, we meet elsewhere or I go to his apartment. Okay. There's ways that we do connect, and I see him once or twice a month. Okay.
0: One last question, and somebody may know the answer to this. Uh, Ray who I think is on the line with this as well but R- Rosanna you might know yep. this Uh what do we know as a fact whether or not there's any increase in crime from homelessness people on the street or from illegal immigrants do we have real hard facts on that Rosanna I you know um I see it
5: all the time on the news so whether Channel 7 or, uh, you know, all the channels mm-hmm. that we have in Chicago uh, tell the truth or not, yes. they And uh, a, a couple of different, you know, videos have been on of the people here saying that they're stealing bikes, they're s- robbing people in broad When they, daylight. S- when
0: they say they... Do, do they really know that it's an illegal, illegal uh, immigrant or could it be a gang member? I mean, they they don't yeah. really know that unless they've <laughs> they asked for their yeah. their yeah. Their but card, I you know? I
5: you know I am uh, I've lived in Mexico and I know part of the culture is you you have two of those I can take one. It is not wrong. I lived it. It's not wrong. I can take that. You have more, you know, and that's what I lived at a Bible school. I was ripped off constantly by Bible students, so I
0: lived it. But are you are you, did, are you are you saying that you think that it's Mexi- the culture that Mexicans have that as part of their culture?
5: I it is the culture, and other missionaries that I've talked to who have been in South America, in Ecuador, in Brazil. They confirm my story.
0: Ray, have you ever encountered that or any perception from your perspective? Um, I don't know
1: uh, how we lumped Mexico, Brazil, and Ecuador all in the same group, but no, I have not seen where the increase in where any increase in crime is directly related to mm-hmm. undocumented individuals or the homeless. What I've seen an in increase is this twelve to fifteen year age group. Across all demographics, who are growing up in a society where we just tolerate everything and no one's held responsible, which is what's driving out a lot of the stores and industry in many of our cities throughout this country, where you see the shoplifting, the takeovers and all of that stuff just to become TikTok famous. And we keep amplifying that nonsense. That seems to be more of a agitator in the numbers than any of the other two categories talked about.
0: Ray, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question because, uh, as a resident of Chicago, of downtown Chicago, uh, my neighborhood has been inundated with uh, <laughs> celebrations of Mexican Independence uh, the last uh, forty-eight hours, including uh, the shutdown of the downtown location, which has upset some people. Uh, there, I guess there was one incident of violence uh, last evening, actually a block from my house. But generally speaking, my question to you is for those who are not Mexican, why is it that that celebration can get so big so fast and become so in you know, uh, involving other parts of the city? I mean, not every ethnic group gets what the Mexicans got the last 48 hours.
1: No, and this was really born out of the pandemic and it was a failure by Lori Lightfoot to nip this in the bud back then. And it's a direct result of the Mexican Independence Day Parade being canceled in 2020, and yet a for-profit event being allowed to continue uh, under that administration. But I've said routinely, this is not our culture to act so disrespectfully and crazily throughout the city of Chicago, and that the mayor, Brandon Johnson, and his police department need to do a better job of putting this kind of behavior back in its place. We don't need to have this continue. We have parades, we have neighborhood events, We have all kinds of things. And yet we're allowing this outlandish street takeover, not just downtown, but in the communities too, to continue. And the sad part is in trying to say that this is your culture, you are now leaving your neighborhoods vulnerable to those gang members who are in our communities because we simply don't have the police protecting the community because they're too busy making sure that the that nobody's getting run over or shot at any of these uh, yeah. caravan parades.
0: Well, that that was my perspective. Actually, last evening I was uh, uh, I, I oversaw a large area where there must have been thirty-five police cars just watching an area of Wacker Drive, uh, waiting for fireworks to to happen. Uh, and frankly, I I, I love fireworks shows, so I guess I wasn't complaining too much about that. But I did think about the, the, the lack of police protection in other parts of the city because so much had been invested into uh, uh, tr- tr- trying to keep peace in the downtown area. Anyway, we are out of time. Ray Lopez... Thank you very much, 15th Ward Alderman, Democratic Committeeman. Uh, It's always a pleasure to have you with us on the program. Rosalind Polito, we thank you very much for being with us. And again, uh, Matt Barron, we thank you very much for being with us as well. And again, uh, we have that information uh, regarding your brothers. Tonight we've discussed homelessness and the illegal immigration problem. I think the one thing we learned tonight is illegal immigrants, that's one group, and then there are the asylum seekers. That's the other group, the asylum seekers... Get some stipend. The illegal immigrants don't. Thanks to Fritz Coleman, I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago.